0: Welcome to Small Business Talk, Episode 110. Today, my guest is Andrew Dennehy, and Andrew is from Planet Net 32 Solutions. Welcome, Andrew.
1: Thank you, Cathy. Good to be here.
0: And today, we're going to talk about how backups can make or break your business. So I know a lot of people think computers is all a bit nerdy and it's a bit difficult, but I'm sure you'll make it much easier for us today. (laughs) And yes, well, yeah, backups are a huge thing, aren't they?
1: Absolutely. And look, those people are right. Computers are nerdy and backups are not the most exciting topic for a podcast, but uh, it, is, it is really a make or break service. And uh, it's the kind of thing that, you know, as a small business servicing small business owners, uh, it's probably the number one issue that, that we come across uh, when we do audits and we look into people's IT services is the lack of a backup.
0: And I guess the other thing there, too, is sometimes people do have backups, but they may or may not be working. So they've got it all set up. Somebody set it up for them at some stage and they think they're all covered. And then suddenly there's an issue and no backup. So how can we tell if we think we've got a backup, whether we actually have one or not?
1: Well, I mean, the best way to, to really do it is to is to use it in anger. So you, you simulate a failure, right? And you decide what failure event you're trying to recover from. So maybe my PC blows up or maybe my email gets corrupted or maybe I get uh, some ransomware or something like that. And then you attempt a recovery. So I have in my calendar, and I, I recommend to all my clients, put in their calendar at least every six months to to recover something. And that might be as simple as, can I go back and recover an email that I sent two years ago? Or it could be, can I recover my whole file share? It really depends, right? And what we try to do is have a schedule of rolling what we call disaster recovery tests, where we say, right, here's the issue we're trying to simulate, here's how we're going to simulate it, and here's the recovery. And then it's up to the client to look at it and go, well, you know what, that has recovered enough that I can continue with my business, because it really is about business continuity.
0: Absolutely. We all know that if there's a, a major disaster, then it does take a long time to, to reset things. So, if we've got to reset from scratch, that makes it even longer. So, let's go right back to the start and say that we don't have any backup services currently. What would you recommend for the average small business? And I know average is an interesting <laughs> word. <but laughs> I
1: was about to say, I don't think there is an average small business. I think they're all exceptional, but um, no look i mean i feel for i feel for small business owners because you have to you have to wear the proverbial many hats right you have to be your own i t consultant your own receptionist your subject matter expert so it's it's a tough one to to cover um what we see is very often people do either manual backups to like an external hard drive or something like that, and then that's that's their backup or very often as you mentioned they back up the wrong things um so it really you would start with well. What's my infrastructure what am i what am I looking at? Um the key things for most small businesses are going to be email, uh, files stored on the desktop on their pc there' that's the number one culprit for for a lack of backups and uh, anything you store on maybe a, a small server at home or one on the cloud or onedrive or Dropbox or something like that these are all things that you want to create backups of The other I guess thing that I, I encourage people to look at is a, a fairly simple model of backups, right? So there's there's many different models of how you, you create and manage your backups. But one of the, the models that's easy to remember is the 3 one model. So the 3 one model says you need three copies of your data, meaning you've got a live copy, you've got a backup copy, and then you've got an offline copy. So three copies of your data in two separate physical media meaning you can't have three copies of your data all on one pc on one hard disk because when that goes it's dead so you want to have separate physical media and then the number one is the offline copy so that's the one where people very often miss out right is that you want to have a copy of your data offline so if you do you know either have an accidental deletion you have maybe a you know a fire in the server room is the kind of the the exotic one, or a real risk at the moment is ransomware, where your uh, your files and your data get encrypted. You want to have a copy offline, so that after you've dealt with the issue, you have a known good clean backup. And so that's really where we uh, where we see the I guess the the most issues occur is that last part of having the offline backup because businesses who care about their backups, they generally will have something. They'll have something running, going, backing up their data, but it's not offline. And so when invariably they get, you know, attacked by a a crypto locking piece of software, that's when we see the issues.
0: So if you've got, say, a backup in the cloud, so obviously common for small businesses is Dropbox or Sync or one of those cloud softwares, is that okay as one of those components in your 321? Or if like you say, you get encrypted, is that just going to flick it straight up to there as well?
1: Well, it's a bit of both, right? So it depends on the service that you've, you've bought. But what you really want is what we call immutability. You want something that cannot change. Certainly, you know, Dropbox or, or um, you know, any equivalent online service is good. It's, it's certainly better than having it all stored in your desktop. So I would start with there, right? We take baby steps from there. But then you do have the risk that if your PC is compromised, and it encrypts that online um, folder or deletes that folder even worse, then how do you recover that data? So some cloud services do offer you the ability to roll back to a previous day, but it's it's hit or miss. So that's when you have to kind of start looking at a more, uh, a dedicated backup service. You know, and that's where we come in. That's where we start advising our clients and, and really working out something that's fit for purpose.
0: Perfect. Done the right thing. You've got your you Dropbox or something similar then how would you look at doing that off-site as well? So you talked about external hard drives. So is that enough or are they going to fail over time as well?
1: Well, yes, every disk will fail over time is the short answer, right? It's, It's how long a time. Ideally, you would have, if you're going to use offline media like an external hard drive, you would have a rotating pair of disks. So you'd have disk A and disk B. And typically, disk A would be online. And then your your backups would run to disk A. And then at a certain point, you swap out disk A and disk B, and you run your backups to disk B. So you always have, let's say you do that every two weeks or something like that as a running schedule, then at least you can always recover back two weeks. But what we see nowadays more so than I mean, that's a very manual process. It's very time intensive. It invariably fails because... Either the software fails, or you forget, or you have a, an appointment. You have a reminder in your calendar, and you miss it. Um, and so, invariably, that falls by the wayside over time. So, what we what we look at now, and what we recommend to our clients, is uh, is cloud based backups. So, there's a a company that we partner with called AFI, and they allow you to back up. Depending on your service, they allow you to back up your data three times a day. At regular intervals, you can restore back to, well, you can restore it definitely back to the time you start backing up and it's immutable. So they 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 form two of those, what we would call two of those tiers of backup because you've got your live data, which might be, say, if you have a Google workspace, for example, a Google domain or an Office 365 cloud domain, um, you, you pay a fee per user, it's licensed per user, and three times a day, your data gets backed up and you c- it then becomes an archive as well. So you can restore it to the state it was in a year ago, if you need to, or a few hours ago, depending on, on the issue you're trying to resolve. So we look at that, Perfect. and they handle that offline backup part then. So they, their archive snapshots are what we call immutable. They don't change. So even if you get compromised and you have active ransomware and it encrypts a whole bunch of files and then the backup runs, it will only be backing up the encrypted files. Meaning if, you know, if you, let's say you, ha- you click on a dodgy link on an email, you get some software that encrypts all the files on your on your cloud drive or on your PC, and that gets replicated into your cloud backup. You can still go back a few steps to yesterday and pull out the clean data. So then that's when we get into incident management, actually, which is is kind of another point I wanted to touch on um, because uh, we have two. I guess there's two key technical terms that that we we talk to people about, and it's called the recovery point objective, the RPO and the recovery time objective. Now we're getting into the kind of into the weeds of the nitty gritty technical stuff here, but but if you imagine, if you draw on a piece of paper, a timeline, right? You put a big X in the middle where you've had some incident. Now that incident could be a failed hard disk. It could be a ransomware attack. It could be a disgruntled employee deleting a bunch of files as they head out the door. Like you, you don't know what what issue you're gonna face. So you have to look at that timeline and you decide how far back can I afford to lose data? what's my recovery point that I need to restore to? You know, for a lot of small businesses, that could be a few days. You know, you you, you might lose a few emails, you might have to resend some stuff, you might have to redo some work, but you could have a recovery point three, four days in the past. But for say, you know, a financial institution, a bank, they have a zero recovery point, right? Every transaction has to be immediately recoverable. So if a bank encounters an issue like this, and it's the same problem whether you're, you know, whether you're Commonwealth Bank or, you know, Betty's Hair Salon, it doesn't matter. You've got the same challenges of, how far back do I need to recover to? So a bank cannot lose a transaction, right, for, for obvious reasons. If you're the, the resilient small business owners that I see, you can afford to lose a few days of data and you can still, you'll still get by. You're just going to work some hard days to recover whatever lost work or emails. So that's the recovery point. How far back can you afford to lose your data? The other thing you look at is the recovery time objective. How long will it take you to restore back that point? Meaning the incident happens today. It takes you an hour or two to figure out what's going on. And you call someone, you say, look, something's happened. We figured it out. You spend a day or so messing around. Then you decide to implement your disaster recovery plan. Could take a day or two or three sometimes to, to recover that. So how long can you go without your data is another key point. So that's the uh, the recovery time objective. And so between the recovery point, which is how far back you can reliably recover to, and the recovery time is kind of the timeline where you're, you're looking at to see this is going to be the impact of any potential disaster event.
0: And I guess that comes into your risk management as well. So when you're looking at that, it's a case of, yeah, how long can I be down for? And then, of course, depending on how much work you've got to do, then that will also impact on your forward time as well.
1: Exactly so you have to look back and forward and decide how much can I afford to lose and then how long is it going to take me to recover and we typically say and again you know small business owners they they know their business typically inside out so they know the busiest period so you always have to assume it's going to be at the busiest period of the year because that's when you're going to run into issues so you know that's when you start telling the war stories I've had of you know like a, a restaurant this is many years ago a restaurant who lost uh, a server like a week before uh before valentine's day which was going to be their biggest day of the year they couldn't take bookings it was a, a nightmare for them um and that was all just down to you know a, a lack of backups and trying to recover find their bookings who booked what when and where it was uh you know, it was the pre kind of online booking day so they, they had it stored in their pc they lost the pc and they had no idea who was going to rock up but you know at 6 p.m on, on valentine's night
0: Oh, dear. That would yeah. have been disastrous, especially if it was the the Valentine's Day and you were proposing or something yeah, like that. Exactly. It was very exactly. important to the, the customers. So, yes, you need to be very aware of those kind of things. And, of course, as you say, it is always the busiest time, generally the run-up to Christmas, Mother's Day for florists, Valentine's yeah. Day for restaurants, that yeah, sort if, of thing. If you're, so, if
1: you're an accountant, this issue is going to happen on, like, June 27th. You know, it'll be just yeah. always... <laughs> You just pick your worst time, and that's when it's going to be for sure. Yeah, retail. We
0: shouldn't laugh, but of course that is actually what happens. So um, it's, yeah, it's we, we need to be. Sure. We need to be prepared. Okay, so we've got our idea of we need to do multiple backups in multiple places, and not just on the cloud or into a service that does provide that offline section as well. For Betty's hairdressing salon, where would you suggest that Betty should be starting?
1: It's a good question. I think if you're starting out a small business, the services that are available today are the same services that, you know, Google and Microsoft use, but they scale down. So when people talk about the cloud, what we're really talking about is someone else's server. Okay, so for example, you've—I'm you've, sure you've heard of Office 365 or Microsoft 365, which is an online service. You can pay it personally or as a business, and they can host your email for you and your file shares and all those good things. Right, so they'll do the first two parts of the three-two-one for you. Now, to set that up as a Greenfields new company is a trivial task. It's—it really is a very straightforward task. It, you very often find it bundled in with people buying uh, web domains because it's. It's so easy. And when you do that, you end up with your two copies of your data, right? You've got your your mailboxes plus your your shared folders, and you have an element of backup. So that's where I'd always say is if you're starting out, you go to one of those big providers like Microsoft or, or Google, for example. So Google domains is another good one. And you get your email set up initially there. So you're not, you know, using a Hotmail account or something like that, which is kind of it's the first step that I see in in most small businesses is they use effectively their personal email to to get off the ground. And then as they grow and get a little bit bigger, they register a domain, maybe get a website. And that's when they start looking at these services. But, yeah, the sooner, the better is is get yourself set up on something like Office 365 or Google domain. And once you're there, they will provide backup for their own infrastructure. So this is something as well i i I try to let people who are at that stage in their growth cycle know is microsoft's commitment to you or google's commitment to you is if one of their data centers gets hit by an asteroid and explodes right their sydney data center catches fire for whatever reason and is, is completely useless they will back up your data somewhere else in the world geographically so that they can recover that data from that incident but they're not responsible for the long time archival and retention of your data, meaning if one of your employees goes in and deletes, let's say, a shared folder or a client folder or emails or something like that, you know, either maliciously or by accident, it doesn't really matter. It's not up to Microsoft or Google or whoever you're using to have those archival records. So that becomes a big issue if you're dealing with longer term contracts. We'll get a, a request from a client to say, oh, look, I sent, you know, I sent John an email four and a half years ago. And I think it was in June, but maybe July. And we were talking about this. But in that email, we specified something and we need to know it. And it's like, well, here we go. But when you have this long time archival and, and, and storage even if that email has subsequently been deleted, you can still go back to look at the state of play at the time the email was sent. So it's always recoverable. So that's kind of the next step along is, you know, the the backup of the infrastructure in those cloud environments is the responsibility of the, the company providing the service. So Dropbox, if one of Dropbox servers explodes, it's up to Dropbox to replace that server and to protect your data. But if someone comes in and encrypts your data, that's not on Dropbox to, to fix. That's up to you. So that's where the I guess the responsibility begins and ends.
0: Yes, so you've got a couple of points there. Being a web designer, of course, I hate it when people are are using their own personal emails and the sooner that they can register a domain, even if they're not going straight to the website, the better it is for Google because the older the domains are, the, the more cred you've got with Google. So that's always a good thing. And when you think of any kind of business, you immediately look at their email and if it's at one of the, providers, yeah. then you think, well, how big are you? And even yeah. if you are just starting out small by having your domain, which they're very cheap, it just gives you that extra step of credit. So yeah, uh, yeah I think definitely, so. definitely buy a domain straight up. I, I, I
1: think then, so. That's, that's my general first advice as well is even if you don't end up using it, at least have it, you know, at least have yes. your company name so that somebody else isn't going to come and take it.
0: Yeah. Or for I, our other listeners, their country or – Just a a .com if you're not country specific, but just make sure that you do have your business name. And the other side of that is that if you're getting quite successful and you haven't registered your business name, somebody else can, and then you've got no way to get it back. Make sure you do that from the the start. If you're in the UK, do your UK.co or just one of the generic ones. It really doesn't matter which, but as long as you've got your company name as the domain name.
1: Yeah, so brand protection is important. And also it stops against potential phishing attacks. So it stops people from trying to imitate your business. So a, a classic example was an oil and gas company I used to work for. They had a O and an I in their in their domain name. I don't want to give their domain name out. But let's say, it's, let's say it's oil company, right? Let's say it's oil.com.au. What would happen is we would see people registering names that were close to that name. So it would be like instead of OIL, it would be 01L.com.au or something to that effect. And then sending emails both to our employees and to our customers, trying to imitate us, right? Trying to say, we're, we're this company or that company and, and trying to insert themselves into conversations, get money transferred. And it was a fairly regular occurrence to the point where, you know, we went and we, we kind of got uh, effectively a word generator. These are available online to try and register as many of the domains that were close to our domain as we could just so that, you know, to offset these issues that we were encountering. So yeah, owning your own domain is is important. The brand specialist will say you got to have your your own domain in the email address, but you know sometimes it depends on who on who you are and and the level that you're at. So if you're a a small business, a micro business, say of you know one or two people, sometimes there's that sense of comfort of like they use a Gmail email address. I was like, well, look, they're not too big. I'll be able to deal with John at Gmail.com. You know, not some faceless corporation. So it's striking that balance, but. But yeah, my uh, my recommendation is always, it's so inexpensive now to get your own domain um, that you know you'd be crazy not to get it, even if you didn't uh, even if you didn't use it.
0: Yes, for sure, and just even for that safety thing, I've seen the phishing attacks with some of the bigger companies. We once, fortunately, didn't enact it, but we had a, a client that was getting emails from Facebook.com.au and of course Facebook doesn't have the dot the as their domain name. So you see them quite often. And the other ones you see is when they put something in front of the email. So it basically looks like a subdomain. So it's not their actual domain either. So that always makes it look like it's coming there. Once again, with any of the phishing attacks or anything online, if you're not sure about it, don't click on it. And if it says to go to a website, of course, go directly to the website. Don't follow the link because yeah, that's how you get caught
1: very easily. (laughs) For sure. And these are sophisticated attacks too. I mean, we're, we're kind of, diverging but they the emails that we see coming through now that make it past email filters they have to be sophisticated if they weren't sophisticated the automatic filters would pick them up and so they're, they're generally very sophisticated they have a psychological element to it there's almost always a call to action right if someone sends you an email that has to be actioned urgently i always kind of take a moment to just step back and, and look at it and just look for silly things like spelling mistakes or did that person call me you know Andy instead of Andrew. Like those little giveaways that, that kinda you know set your gut off, they're the ones that you really need to watch out for. Those sophisticated phishing attacks are very difficult to block automatically. So that's where you really rely on people's, you know, common sense and training and, and I guess their gut instinct really to to protect them.
0: Yeah, I think it is a lot of gut instinct because like you say, they're very sophisticated. So quite often they do look like the real thing, especially when they're imitating other companies. They do have all the same colouring. They have the branding down pat. They even have the logos quite often. So yeah, you do need to be very careful. And I know we have digressed a bit, but while we're still talking about emails, the other thing, of course, is that once you buy your domain, you can always still run it through Google Suite. So you can have it on the same interface as you would a Gmail, but you're actually using your domain name and the same with your Office 365. So don't think that just because you're buying a domain name that you then have to get a whole separate system. You don't. Yeah, you can exactly. run it through your Office 365 or your Google Suite.
1: Yeah, that's right. You're not committing to buying a server or having any on-site infrastructure, really. And these days, for especially for small businesses, except in rare occasions, you don't need to buy a server anymore. You know, there are certain industries where you do just because of, generally speaking, because of volume of data, right? So if you're a drafter or an architect and you use large volumes of data at a high speed, it doesn't really make sense to have infrastructure on site. But yes, if you're a if you're a small business, there's nothing stopping you tomorrow from going out, registering a domain, and having your email running up in you know half a day. And now you've got your your brand already started and you're already up and running. And it's all stored on these very resilient uh cloud services, so be it Google or, my, or Office 365 or, or whoever your your service is with. And then the last part, you know, to to loop back is to to make sure you're backing up up that data and archiving it. Because there's a difference, right? There's a difference between a backup and an archive. A backup is kind of a a snapshot. It's generally fairly recent. Backups tend to be fairly recent because you don't want to be storing infinite tapes and infinite uh, copies of your data. But your archive is more, it's a bit more structured and it does go back in time. So when you can combine the two, like the services that we offer our clients through AFI, you have both a backup and an archive. So we can go back to any point in time from the moment their subscription started and say, well, at, you know, 1237 on Monday, the 6th of June, 2020, this is what was in your inbox. And it's definitive. It doesn't change because of that immutability we spoke about earlier. So you know that that's exactly what it looked like. And that's, you know, that that becomes very useful, especially when when you're trying to, you know, cast your mind back to longer term contracts or conversations or emails that that have gone on.
0: Perfect. So with backups and archives and that sort of thing I think a lot of people get worried about one do they have to do it manually and two is it going to take a lot of time and three the credibility of that so you've sort of spoken a little bit on that but we haven't kind of talked about how you actually do it so obviously you can buy a a subscription service we'll give your details in a minute so that they can contact you if that's what they want to do but how do people actually enact that how do they make it happen
1: Specifically talking about the the service that we we recommend to everyone now. So, well, let me take a step back. When I first set up my business, which is you know we're a small business for small businesses, but when we first set it up, our backup was a small server, which is basically just a bunch of disks sitting on my desk, and that's what we would access our data on. There was two disks in it, and one as they were running, they would copy the data uh, to each other transparently. So basically, if I had let's say a two terabyte disk, right? It doesn't matter the size. I would put two of those disks in one chassis. And so when I was accessing the data, if one of the disks failed, I'd always have it. And that was my first, I guess, foray into backups, right? Was was that one. But already you're now talking about buying your own infrastructure and having stuff sitting on your desk and you have to set it up and configure it and then check it to make sure it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And then... (laughs) <laughs> and then as as happened to me my son came along and knocked it off the desk and destroyed both discs simultaneously and thankfully oh no. I, had, I had taken i had taken that third step and i had all even though i was running my backups on that on that server i had also um backed it up to the cloud so you know my, my recovery point at that stage was probably an hour previous to, to my son coming in and knocking it off in a tantrum and the recovery time it took a bit longer because i had to actually go out and buy new discs and you know, so my recovery time in that case was a few days. But that's how people would originally start doing it. Nowadays, let's say, for example, specific examples, if you have a domain that's hosted in either Google or Office 365, it takes us about a couple of hours to set up the initial backup, and then it runs forever. So this is something we offer, and you know, we're happy to offer to your listeners as well, is a commitment-free trial, right? So you can... Just let us know your details. Uh, we'll need an admin account on your domain. So make sure you're talking to us and not someone else before you provide those details. But effectively, we put that into the panel we have through the cloud provider. They connect to your domain directly and run the backups. And you can do that for two weeks, right? So we'll do that commitment-free. Um, and at the end of the two weeks, if you don't like it, it all just, it all gets deleted and you, you never hear from us again. If you do like it, then we actually go on and sign you up as a client. And the reason we can even afford to do that is because it's so straightforward. It's just point to the domain you know there's there's a couple of minor steps it takes us very little time to actually set up and then you just choose right at the end of that two-week period you might just choose well i only want to back up i think it's a minimum of five so let's say i just want to back up my senior leadership team plus maybe my file shares So you say, right, these are your senior leadership team, here are my file shares, we run a quick calculation to make sure you don't have an outrageous amount of data. And typically, then it's just charged on a per user basis. So you don't even have to back up everyone, right? Very often, you'll have a, a company that has maybe a core team, and then a bunch of contractors that come in and out, or people who are just doing basic admin work, and they don't really care about their emails. But then typically, the directors, the finance people, accounts, they all, you know, they're all the guys you really want to focus your backups on. So in terms of the initial setup, it's uh, yeah, it's not a, a tremendous amount of work if you're on your own domain. If your services are spread out across five or six different providers and you use Dropbox for one thing and maybe you use your domain registrar for your email and you've got a personal hard drive, that becomes a bit trickier. So that's when it becomes a bit more difficult, which is why for people just setting off, we always say, look, get your domain set up first, You know, pay for an email service because it, it really boils down to probably five, 10 bucks a month for just a, a simple small business starter email service. And then it opens up the door to all these further possibilities. Whereas if you have to kind of go back and corral all the various data sources and hard disks and uh, you know where all the data has been squirreled away over time, that's where it gets a bit trickier. But yeah, so the, the start-off point really for us, if you already own your domain and, and own your, your email and you're with Google or Microsoft 365, it's a, it's a walk in the park. If you don't have that, then we look a bit closer and we say, well, do we migrate you to one of these services? Like maybe if you're on a, you know, a less than ideal uh, cloud service provider, we might migrate you over to one of the, the more, I guess, larger and common ones, and then kick off the backups from there. Or we would, you know, potentially depending on your environment, we might put in some infrastructure. So if you have a, and by infrastructure I mean a small server or Or local storage or something like that. But general rule for my clients now, we we don't really recommend putting in your own infrastructure unless there's a real pressing business need. So if you're, let's say you're a video editing company, right? So if you're generating tremendous amounts of videos and even your podcast, I'm sure generates enough video that you've probably got some storage issues, right? (laughs) So if you're generating large amounts of content like that, probably doesn't make sense to store those on the cloud because it will drive up your operating cost. And you might be better off looking and saying, look, I'll just put in a fairly low end or high end server, depending on your requirements in the office, and I'll only back up maybe my email. So you might say, I've got a whole bunch of raw footage. Uh, So, for example, a job I did for a video editing company was they would go through seasons of this TV show they were producing and they would take all of the raw footage, which was just vast amounts of data but then they would cut that all down into an actual show. And at the end of the season, they would delete all the raw footage and they would just keep the actual archived series of the show. So maybe it was 12 episodes or something like that. So they really cared about backing up the, the final product where all the effort and time had gone into to editing and cutting and adding sound. But they didn't care so much about the raw data. And you know, the stuff that they really cared about, they would keep on tape and on external disks. Um, so that was an example where they selectively chose what to back up and what not. And that's, that's what I generally recommend as well, is don't back up everything because you really need everything, but you just pick and choose the things that are key to your business and that it de-risks you, but also, you know, it de-risks you in terms of backup, but it also reduces that ongoing operational, operational expenditure.
0: So it gives you the options there in wrapping up, We need to be looking at what we need to back up, where it's actually stored and making sure that we do have a a solution that's going to suit the size of business that we have. If people would like to know more about it or they're a bit worried because they've got it spread everywhere and they need to get it migrated to somewhere more manageable, how will they find you, Andrew?
1: Uh, I think the easiest way is to come through our website. So if they go to uh, planet32.com.au, so P L A N N E T three two dot com dot um, that's the there's contact forms there, or they can email us with contact at planet32.com.au as well. So either those two options will get through to us, and we'll uh, we'll get back.
0: Perfect. So we'll put those in the show notes so people can get the correct spelling of that for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The world's
1: worst domain name.
0: <laughs> good thing you're not in the predominantly the business of selling domains so yes but yes sometimes we do inherit these things and we've just got to stick with them okay so at this stage of the podcast i asked five questions so are you game
1: yeah let's go for it
0: what is the best advice given to you by a mentor uh
1: the best advice given to me by a mentor would be stop sending emails uh i was as a few years back and i was having an exchange with a project manager And, you know, we were both passionately arguing our points over emails and the emails were getting longer and longer and turned from essays into books. And my manager just came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, he's sitting over the other side of the desk of the office, right? Just go talk to him. And so we did. and We had a chat. and It was resolved in five minutes. So I think that was a big one was as soon as I start writing lengthy emails, I stop myself and I go, maybe I should pick up the phone.
0: And I think that's something that people don't do these days, do they, is they do tend to want to get it all in writing, but sometimes it's just easier to have that conversation so that people understand what you're talking about because email and texts, you can't get the body language, you can't get the words that the way they say. Great is a perfect example. So it could be great. It could be great. Right. It could be great. 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 Everything in between. So sometimes texts and um, emails don't convey the message you're trying yeah. to. So I think that's great advice. I um, like to
1: follow up the e- the phone call with an email typically, because, but that's more because of my dodgy memory than, than I need to get things in writing. But I find that helps as well as have the phone call, follow up with a brief summary, and that's that tends to keep everyone happy.
0: Perfect. And then you've covered both bases and everybody knows that they're on the same page. Indeed. Okay. What is the biggest help that you have received since starting your business?
1: I would say since starting it is I got some, uh, some business coaching actually from, from one of your previous uh, podcast guests, uh, Nicola Ward at Precious Time Business Services because you, know, you, you start a small business and it's typically, you know, you and a dreamer. In this case, it was me my wife and a dream. And, and it's very easy to get bogged down in the detail. And so uh, I went to Nicola for some coaching services and I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I thought it might be, you know, here's a plan and a strategy to solve problems or, you know, it would, I thought it'd be a bit more dictatorial. But in fact, really what it boiled down to was um, Nicola asking some probing questions. And then I took the time to answer them and explain the situation. And as I did, I came to my own conclusion. And by the time our, our coaching sessions had ended, I was like, okay, yeah, I know. what I, I, you know, I knew the answer to the problem. I just hadn't really spoken it out loud or, or, or had the time to think it through. So I would say that would be the best, uh, I guess, the best advice or help I've had since starting the business.
0: Perfect. And a nice testimonial for Nicola as well.
1: Yeah, very much You're so. Done. I'd highly recommend her.
0: What is the one thing that you have to do every day, day? You're non-negotiable?
1: wake up unfortunately i have to get up every day i think spending time with the kids is probably a big one even when i'm away traveling for work i always try and at least get a phone call or a a skype call or or something back to them you know it's become easier with the advent of the internet but i used to travel to some fairly far away places and so sometimes it might be only every few days i'd I'd get a you know a message back to them or a a call but i think that's probably the big one is, is keeping in touch with the kids
0: and you do want to wake up because if you don't wake up, you're dead. You yeah, must wake just
1: up. i having a lion. I mean, I've got two young children, you know. Sometimes a sweet embrace of death is like, hmm. <laughs> be careful
0: what you wish for. Yeah, be careful
1: might. what you wish for, knock on wood.
0: <laughs> okay. What is your favorite business book and why?
1: I have a few. I don't know if they're business books per se, but there is, there's a number of books that I read prior to starting my own business around influence and persuasion. And just the basics of psychology and understanding when people are hitting uh, psychological barriers, right? Uh, cognitive dissonance and that type of thing. And so there's a few books I've read. The The One Sentence Persuasion course was actually really useful. Um, the, there's a bunch of Power of Persuasion books. And um, Robert Cialdini is a PhD. He wrote a few of those books that were very useful. And it was more just, it, it wasn't just in a business sense. It was just more in a interacting with people that once you see these, psychological tells right you, you can tell sometimes when someone is it has hit a wall where it's not that they're not listening to you it's that their brain has been presented with new information that is so is so contrary to their established belief that they can't process it you see it in politics all the time um but but even in day-to-day conversation you see it when someone kind of gets that deer in a headlight look and they're just getting new information and they're rejecting it out of hand and so when i i have come to realize that when I see that, you just need to back off and give people time to come to their own conclusions. And that's that's really been quite beneficial. And there's just a few tells that, that you can, in in the way, the cadence of the way someone says something or certain keywords that they say, especially if they, for example, if they use the so you're saying one, if I say something to you and you respond back to me with this, so you're saying X and it's completely misrepresenting what I've said. It's not necessarily that they're trying to misrepresent you. It's just that their brain has decided, you know, their 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 monkey brain has decided new information is scary. Get back to the trees. And I've I've caught myself in it a few times. I've caught myself in a few times like, like going red and, and rejecting information for no good reason. And it was only afterwards I realized, oh, you know what? That was just my monkey brain kicking in
0: absolutely and unfortunately our monkey brain does control us quite a lot and we don't realize and definitely being in the computer field you would get that deer in the headlights quite often when people say, <laughs> what do you mean my server's broken no yes, nothing. exactly what do you right. mean i got no backups i've been mean backing up religiously
1: yeah so
0: yes totally understand that okay and our final question is what do you wish you had known when you started your business
1: I wish I'd known how difficult it was running a small business. And that's why I feel for small business owners, because you have to do everything. And yes, you're your own boss, but you're also your own receptionist and your own janitor and your own maintenance man and your own accountant and your own bookkeeper. And you, you wear a lot of hats. And I think in retrospect, um, that, that would probably be, I, I would have, I don't know if I would have done anything differently, but but certainly if I had known how much work would have to go into just keeping a small business going, I would have I would have really looked at it twice.
0: Absolutely. I think there's a lot of business owners that may have chosen not to take the path that we have <laughs> taken, but now 20 years down the track, yeah. well, the path is set, so we
1: yeah. need to continue. I, I certainly, I don't regret it. It's just more a case of there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I think if any small business, I mean, I enjoy the independence of owning and running my own business. But if I went back and calculated my hourly rate now versus my hourly rate when I was just a salaried employee or just a a humble contractor, I think I'd work out that I'm probably being paid a lot less per hour. You know, I try not to calculate that too often, but then, you know, (laughs) you learn so much when you're running your own business. Like, there's just so much opportunity for learning. And if I had to, the the other side of that equation is if I had to go to university to learn all the things I've learned since starting my own business, I'd be paying through the nose for it. So... You know, it's a double-edged sword.
0: It absolutely is. There's definitely pros and cons to all businesses. And if you are in that situation where the cons are outweighing the pros, then maybe you do need to be looking for some help, whether that be a business coach or some other means and of course all over the world there's a lot of coaching and that sort of thing that you can do online or that you can get low cost free from your government agencies so if you're having a little bit of problems and struggling please do remember to reach out and get help so on that note Andrew we thank you very much for your time and your wisdom and we'll drop your contact details in the show notes so is there anything final that you think our listeners should know about
1: no I think we've covered enough I think we've uh we'll have put them to sleep by the end of this (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm sure we won't. And it it's very important subject, so people do need to be aware and realise. Fantastic. So thank you very much, Andrew.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au forward slash downloads for all the show notes and links to this episode. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode. Take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action. And SBT community, enjoy your journey.